those of you that may have been on Facebook or for those of you that are like me and I signed up for Instagram yesterday, I had to figure out what that was, by the way. Uh, you may have noticed that one of, the, one of the things that our production team is working is to try to get the word out and kind of advertise what's been going on here. And so for those of you that may have seen it, you'll know that today I'm starting a new series that I'm going to be speaking on for the next four weeks that's called Empowered. Empowered, being a, living an empowered life. And, and today I want to minister on the topic of the priority of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The priority of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. About a month ago, a little over a month ago, I was at the sportsman show at the fairground and I'd, I'd mentioned that I'd gotten about two booths in and there was a, a booth that was there from Oneida Lake and, and I began to have a conversation with them and they asked me uh, what I love about the lake and I said, I love fishing on the lake because I, I have such a communion with God while I'm there and apparently that's not an answer they got a lot. And uh, it, it sparked a little interest and they said, what do you mean a place where you feel a communion with God? And so... Uh, how many of you have been in conversations where you know three seconds into it that God is taking it over? And it just it begins to go a different direction. This was one of those times, and so I, I began to try to tell them. I said, I, I love being out there. I love fishing, but there's just, it's a place for me that I'm just refreshed in God as I'm there. And so they begin to ask questions, and one of them was, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm a public speaker. And... Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, then it began to go a little bit to about some spiritual heritage, and I had asked a question if I said, what, you know, where do you go to church? And the individual began to list for me a spiritual pathway that they have been on that has just left them hungry for a long time. And uh, when they asked me what we believe and what the church believes, I said, we are full gospel. We believe the whole Bible, the whole Bible. And to which somebody that was standing there said, so do you believe in speaking in tongues? And in an instant, everybody that was there suddenly got really quiet. And uh, I began to recognize that whatever I said next was going to capture people's attention. And so how many of you find it really, really hard to explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit in two sentences? It was one of those situations where I simply talked about we serve a supernatural God that when we walk in relationship with him, he gives us supernatural power in order to live the life and to display his greatness. That's about the best I could come up with in that short period of time that I hoped would at least give a little bit of a hunger. But I've discovered that as it relates to the things of the Holy Spirit, that um, we need within our churches an opportunity to express, express the practical value and the biblical reasoning behind this moment in the believer's spiritual journey. And my goal today, and, and over these next few weeks, but my goal specifically today is to begin to take us to the scriptures so that we can remove the awkwardness and the confusion that surrounds the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the biggest reaction from those that are new to the concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit generally centers around the term speaking in tongues. And for those of you that may be guests here today, what you heard today was an individual that spoke in tongues, and that's why you're going, I don't know what they are saying. That doesn't make any sense to me, but I can tell you that the Bible tells us that it is a sign for the unbelievers. And, and when, when you hear somebody speak in tongues for the first time in a corporate setting, uh, generally your attention is instantly drawn to whoever it is that's speaking and most people go, what in the world is that? And then the Bible instructs us that in this setting, 
And we'll talk over these next few weeks about the difference between the personal prayer language and a corporate setting in which the, the tongues and interpretation comes. But in this setting, the Bible tells us that if one speaks out in tongues, there must be an interpretation. Sometimes it's the same individual, sometimes it's somebody else, and that we who are there need to judge that interpretation to make sure that it's scriptural, which is what we did today. But the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit involves discussions, yes, about speaking in tongues, but it's much more than that. In fact, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is truly the gateway. It's the gate that opens up uh, our lives into living a supernatural life. And God is a God of miracles, and he wants to do miracles in our lives, and he wants to do miracles through your life. And so I want this morning to help every individual, regardless of your church background, or your lack of a church background, to hear what the Bible says and to think deeply for a few minutes about what does God want for me, how can I get it, and what does the Scriptures teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? One of the big issues that have held so many back from experiencing God's power in their life has to do with what their religious traditions may may be or what they have been. And my goal in this is that we would no longer say, regardless of what your scriptural background or your history is or what religion that you may have come from, my goal is that from that point you would say, well, I'm, I'm from this background or I've been taught this or my family's religious tradition is that. But that at the end of this, what you will be able to say is that I am a follower of the Lord and my standard for what I believe and what I experience is found in the Word of God I know where it's found, and I know what it says, and I am drawing and I am formulating my belief system and my spiritual experiences from what the Bible says. And if it's in the Bible, it doesn't matter what my background may be, and it doesn't matter what I may have been taught. If it's in the Bible, then I want all that God has for me. And if it's in the Bible and my background has taught me something different, I am willing I am willing to listen and to think and to pray so that my spiritual experiences can be formulated by the Word of God and not maybe by my traditions that I have come from. I have asked many people as they have started coming to our church this question, what are you looking for when you come here? Because if you're looking for a place that will confirm what you already believe, you're not going to feel comfortable here. But if you're looking for a place that will constantly allow the Spirit of God to bring you to a place where your experiences and and your belief system are formulated by the Word of God that He molds us and makes us, then you will feel very comfortable here because we are all in this process of growth. And so none of us can afford to, to lean on our traditions as we approach the Word of God because God wants to move within us. The enemy loves for us to get caught up Uh, in following our preferences or our traditions more than the priority of following the Word of God. So what I want to do today is I want to take you scripturally, and we're going to, for those of you who are builders, we are going to pour the cement foundation today for what's going to take place over the next few weeks. We're going to pour the scriptural foundation for why we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what does God have to say to us about it. One of the things that you're going to discover is that following salvation... And following water baptism or following salvation and water baptism doesn't necessarily have to follow it, but those are the things that we are instructed to do, that God wants every single believer to experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's not optional. It's an essential. It's something that God wants you to experience regardless of your background. And the reason why is because 
It happens that the Lord Jesus very literally says to us that when you experience this, you will be clothed with power from on high. Now, so many people want to be clothed with power, but I want the power that I'm clothed with to be from a source that is not my own. And so because we serve a supernatural God, we can expect that what he clothes us with is going to be power that we are incapable of producing on our own. It is a supernatural power that he clothes us with. And I have been grateful for what that experience has done for me. I was saved as a boy of eight years old, baptized in the Holy Spirit at nine years old, and I've been thankful through the years that his keeping power, the supernatural God, kept me through some really difficult times. And, and for those of you who, your children are in children's church or your youth are in youth group, that's why we have them, so that during these formulative years of their life, they can walk with God and don't have to experience some of the scars that some of you live with that came to Christ a little bit later. So we're going to walk by introduction this morning through a series of scriptures. And I, I know that there's not an outline per se in the, in the back of your bulletin, but I do believe that the scriptures are there. And I would like you to take some notes as we go through this because the scriptures tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if we're going to formulate our belief system based on the word of God, then we need to hear what God's word has to say. So we're going to start with a baseline today. And we're going to begin to build the foundation of what we should believe based on Scripture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, and I'm going to go through Scriptures that talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what they mean to us, and very quickly how they might apply. So Jesus, in the first one, if you turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49, Jesus is appearing to his disciples post-resurrection. He's already been raised from the dead. He's been through the crucifixion, the burial, raised from the dead. And now he is appearing in these days of time, post-resurrection. And he says to them, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Have any of you had that happen? When you came to know God, you, you begin to read the Bible and things begin to explode off the page to you? That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And so what we have here is Jesus is looking at his disciples and he is beginning to entrust them with the ministry. He says, the things that you have seen, the things that you know of me, I am now handing them off to you and the whole world will be changed by your testimony of what's going on in my life. And then he goes on to say this. Here's what's next. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. In other words, this may be the only time in Scripture that you see Jesus telling his people, don't do anything and don't say a word. He simply says to them, don't go preach, don't go hold crusades. In fact, don't go anywhere and try to do this on your own because you will not have been fully equipped until the Heavenly Father has given you what He has promised and until you have received it. And so Jesus is telling them that what they are going to need is going to be a power that comes from heaven and not from earth. He said you're going to be clothed with this power from on high. And so this baptism that takes place will give them what they need to live a supernatural life to the degree, to the degree needed in order for them to accomplish the mission that, that God has given to them. And so then we move from there into Acts, into Acts chapter 1. Now this is 40 days following his resurrection. 
and he is teaching them and preparing them for his absence. He knows that he is leaving, and he's entrusting them with the ministry, and he says in Acts 1, 4, and 5, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. By the way, I just want you to know that this is where we get our fellowship meetings while we eat together and talk about the things of the Lord because he was sitting with them and they're eating together. It's an assembly of God thing. It's right there. It's a Bible thing. And when he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, I want you to just underline that thought in your moment because Jesus indicates here that he has had numerous conversations with his followers before this instant. He, in fact, he told, you've heard me talk about it. I would imagine that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of power, was something Jesus talked about a lot because he knew how, was, how important it was going to be for whatever they were going to begin to accomplish for him after that. And so he says to them, you've heard me speak about it. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is telling them, don't go anywhere. Because I want you to understand how important this spirit baptism is to your life, to your ministry, to your ability to live as an overcomer. It's the first thing he said that should happen after your salvation and water baptism. So Jesus is clearly stating here in scripture that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a priority to him for his believers. This is God's desire. God wants everyone to receive now, you don't have to understand it all before you seek. I didn't understand all that salvation meant as a kid when I received Jesus. I just was told that I was in sin, he was my way out, that he was the Savior, and that if I would receive him, he'd wash away all my sins. And with that understanding, I took the step to believe in Jesus and became saved. So it is with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will spend your entire life searching and seeking to come to a deep understanding of the way the Holy Spirit moves. But if you're one of those that has to understand the whole thing before you dive in, you may be be missing out on something and so I believe that when you involve yourself with Christ you begin to grow an appreciation and understanding of the power and the importance and the significance of walking with him and being filled with his spirit so we move there into Acts 1 8 and he says this but you will receive power I want you to look at your neighbor and say you are one of the you's but you will Receive power. Do any of you need any of that today? Any of you need power? Five of you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is telling them what you can expect will happen to you when you become baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said there's going to be a power that's going to be recognized, that it will be a power that you live in. So the heart of Jesus is revealed here that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be a priority for all of his followers. And I want you to think in, in terms of this is an essential aspect of your life and not an option. It's not an option. Here's what's begun to happen. We have we have entered a day and age in Christianity, and primarily in American Christianity, where we begin to look at the Bible like we're shopping for a car. And we look at that and say, you know what, these are the options that I would like today, and these are the options that I don't think I'm going to need. And so we end up with, with a convoluted type of Christianity because there's some parts of the Scripture that we want, all the blessings, 
all the things that God does for us, we like all that. Sometimes we, we say the option of, of tithing, the option of consecration, the option of, 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 of being separated from the world, I don't want that option. I want this option. And so we begin to optionalize the way that we approach things. And the scripture clearly tells us that in our Christianity, we can't choose what we want and formulate a life of Christ that is what we want without the other things. And so some of you have come to the place where you say, the Christianity that I want is the kind that I get to heaven even if my name is printed in pencil in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's all I need. I just want to get there. I don't need to be rewarded greatly. I I just want to know that when the rapture of the church takes place, that I'm not left in the sanctuary alone because Jesus is going to come on a Sunday morning. Now, now, let me... In the event my superintendent is listening to this message, I am not placing a date on the coming of the Lord. What I am saying is that somewhere there's a church service going to be going on when the coming of the Lord takes place, and I would not want to be one of those where the whole congregation leaves and there's just a few left looking around in that coming moment. So Jesus is saying that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an option. It's an essential. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the engine that makes the car run. So it's absolutely essential. Now, one of the ways that we build faith, again, is by hearing the word of God. And since Roman tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, here are some scriptures that I want you to begin to just set your feet in and say, this is what I'm going to stand on because the Bible says it. I believe the Bible. My whole life should be centered around these things. In the simplicity of the scripture, let me share this with you. We're going to begin to take a look through Acts and, and, and beginning to see even more about the priority of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus has told them to wait. And, and so we look and say, what does waiting look like? When Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait, what does it look like? It says that they all joined together in constant prayer, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, I, I want you to look at this. Because we clearly understand here that Mary, Jesus' mother, and his brothers were in need not only of salvation, they also needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That this was something that everybody needed to be included in. And so we recognize that it was the Spirit of Jesus that transforms us in all of this. It said they all joined together constantly in prayer. So they were not going to focus on anything else while they were praying until they received And there's something about this kind of tenacity that I believe the Holy Spirit responds to. It's a laser focus that until the promise of God has come, I'm not letting go. Now, some of you have kids like that. They want something so bad, they will pester you and bother you until you are worn down and you give in. Now, now I'm not saying that to you to think that God is fighting against you to give you something because he's not. But there's a tenacity that was demonstrated here. It said they all joined together in prayer. There are actually two Greek words together that give us a great description of what was happening there. Homo and thumidin. Homo means the same. Thumidin is the word where we get our, our term thermometer from. And so it means that in this particular passage, they all had the same spiritual temperature. They were all together hungry and seeking for something that the Father was going to give them. And it says that as they were waiting and as they were praying, they became one in the spiritual temperature. And then it tells us in Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. How many of you heard that sudden violent wind on Monday that was blowing around? There were moments when Cindy and I were awakened in the middle of the night hearing that wind beat against our house. You could literally feel the pressure in your house change as, as the wind was. I wonder if that was what that was like. You know, my mind just automatically goes, I wonder in the Bible if that was like that. A violent wind from heaven came, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And this is what I want you to see. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It doesn't say a few of them. It says all of them. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. In that moment, they were all clothed with power from the Father. And the evidence of this power was that they are now speaking a language that is not their native language. I was thinking about this this week. And I don't think I'm going to be able to work it out today, but I want there to be a time in the near future because we have so many different native languages that are being represented within our congregation. Some of you dream in French. Some of you dream in the language of the Middle East. Some of you dream in Spanish. Some of you dream in other language Italian how could I forget Italian <laughs> speaking with you yay but someday I want to have an opportunity for all of the languages to be here in the front and we all begin to praise the Lord so that we can hear the praises of God flowing out of all of the different languages to give us just a glimpse of what it might be like of what it was like in Acts chapter 2 they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, it is solid in the Word of God that you speak in tongues. Now, some of you have had encounters with the Holy Spirit. You have been in services where there's such a moving of the Spirit going on around you that some of you begin to weep. Some of you have emotional experiences, and you're standing there, and, and other people have told you, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me just clarify for you. There are many times in your life you're going to feel a sweeping move of the Holy Spirit, but that does not indicate that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That indicates that you have a heart that's soft toward the moving of God, which we should all have. The indication, the first evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance. It's there in the Scripture, and if it's in the Scripture, we hold on to that. But many of you have had experiences, and you say, I, I felt the Holy Spirit. Yes, you did, but that's not the same thing as being baptized. So we get to this question, then what is tongues? Tongues is mentioned in, in the Scripture in three different ways. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, it talks about foreign languages being spoken by people that did not know them. Now, I'm a missionary's kid, and I have told this story to some of you who have been around a while. You know that my mom and dad, when they were early in Africa, they were worshiping with a Maasai tribe that speaks Swahili. And it was early in their career, and my mom was there and in a service, and there was a, a Swahili woman that began to give a message in tongues, and she spoke English. And my mother heard that in English, and to her, it was the confirmation that God was at work and that this is where they needed to be. That woman did not know English, but under the moving of the Holy Spirit, she spoke English. I've heard this from so many different people through so many different times that I know that that's sometimes the way the Spirit of God moves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul talks about the languages of men and angels, indicating to us that angels must have a language of their own. 
We may not know it, but there may be times while we're speaking in tongues that we're speaking the language of angels that is mentioned within Scripture. And then we find also in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, that there is the language of the Spirit, which comes by the initiation of the Holy Spirit from the inner man that is uttered through our own mouths that we do not understand. It is a language of the Spirit. Here's what I love about that. Satan cannot read your mind. But he knows what you say, and he has patterned your life. How frustrating must it be for Satan for you to have a prayer language with the supplier of your power that he cannot understand. He does not know how to attack you. He doesn't know what to do because the inner being of your spirit, having been indwelled by the Holy Spirit at salvation, is now baptized in the spirit, and there's power that's flowing back and forth. He cannot interrupt because he doesn't know anything about it. And so within this language you begin to speak the language of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says this, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. In other words, you don't have to know what your mouth is saying. Your spirit knows, and you're communicating with God in a very deep spiritual way. And as you go through Acts, we begin to see in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, they were facing a time now where the New Testament church is growing, the, the, the people that don't know the Lord are getting mad. Does that sound familiar? And now they're being confronted and persecution is about to take place. And here's what they pray in verses 29 through 31 of Acts 4. Now, Lord, consider their threats. In other words, Lord... Do you see what we're facing here? Have any of you ever prayed that way? I just want to remind you, Lord. Don't know if you're looking. Do you see what we're facing here? Consider their threats. And then they prayed this. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Do not let the circumstances of the nation or the unbelievers that I am surrounded by affect my boldness in speaking about you. They said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, you look at this and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't these the same people that were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2? Why does it say that they were filled with the Holy Spirit again in Acts chapter 4? Here's what we need to understand. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. It's an introduction. It's an open door to a life to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, for those of you who have stood your ground and said, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1991, and that was it, I got it, and that's all I needed, then you are sadly mistaken at what the Scripture indicates that the power of the Holy Spirit is to be. In fact, there are going to be circumstances, and I get them from you all the time. You're always calling and saying, Pastor, can you pray for me? We're facing this, this type of situation. And I want to refer you to the Scripture that when you are a child of God and when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that when the circumstances arise when you're facing something that you can't handle on your own, speak in tongues and pray in the Spirit. There's a flow of the power that begins to flow through you that will give you a boldness to stand up and be an overcomer in that situation. That's what the Scripture is telling us. There was a circumstance that they faced that they needed to be refilled in. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So please know that there's no one-time thing that you get and it's there forever. You need to be constantly refreshed in it. Notice that 
when they were asking for boldness, this is really fascinating in this passage of scripture. They're facing persecution, they ask for boldness, and they ask for miracles. God give us boldness and give us miracles, and what did God give them? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does that not tell you that it's from the, the power of the Spirit that miracles flow? from the power of the Spirit that boldness flows. For those of you that have had a hard time living a consistent Christian life, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that the power of God can bring you from a spiritual life that's constantly up and down to something that's a little more consistent, lived out in His power. They, God answered with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And He will do the same for us to empower us to do the ministry of Jesus. Then we go on from there to meet Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. It said they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now Stephen was a man, in verse 8 it says, full of God's grace and power, and he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So we can begin to see that being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, that the result of that becomes a power in your life that becomes recognizable not only by the church, but by those that are outside the church as well. And then you move from there into Acts chapter 8, and it begins to talk about Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, I love this particular passage in this story because Philip goes and he preaches, and it seems to us as we read Scripture, the whole country got saved. That's what I call revival. I mean, they, the whole country just receives this, this salvation experience, even though they called it in this, a, they, they, they were baptized in Jesus Christ, both both men and women. Now, some have mistakenly believed that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. Let me be very clear with you. You cannot get saved without the moving of the Holy Spirit within your life. And when you come to Christ and you say, Lord, I recognize what you have done for me. Please forgive me of my sins. Take up residence in my life. You become the king of my life. That the Holy Spirit indwells you. Takes up residence on the throne of God in your life. You are saved and the Spirit indwells you. But it is a different and separate experience to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Demonstrated in power within your life. And so we notice that because we get to this Samaritan example in, in Acts chapter 8. And after they had received Jesus Christ, we go to verses 14 through 17. It said, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, I love that, the whole country, that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Okay, we're sending the big guns to you now. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them yet. Here's where we get the scriptural difference between receiving the Spirit of God in salvation and being baptized in the Holy Spirit for power. Do you understand that? Do you see that here? We're, we're pouring a cement foundation for life in the Spirit that I want you to be able to get. It said they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So the early church understood that once people get saved, that they get baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, and that there's a power that is associated with that. And you go from there into the next chapter of Acts chapter 9, and we get to another story of the working of the Holy Spirit. This one as it relates to Saul, who became Paul. In Acts 9.17, then Ananias went to the house, and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Now, Saul was the Jewish name. Paul was the Greek name. And he said, Brother Saul, notice, notice, notice as you're reading this, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again 
and that you may be filled with the Spirit. Now here's what I want you to see. According to Scripture, who was it that was concerned that Paul be baptized in the Holy Spirit? The Lord Jesus. It was the Lord Jesus that was concerned that Paul be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus' concern for you today? It would be that you would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That after coming to know him in salvation and after being water baptized with, in the same form that he was when he was immersed. And, and let me just state this quickly. Some of you come from backgrounds where you were dedicated or you were baptized as babies. That was not your choice. That was a choice that somebody made for you. I've often described it as, you know what? Mom and dad had a desire that you would have a spiritual hunger in your life. And that's kind of where that fits in. But the decision to follow Christ was not made by your mom and dad. It has to be made individually by you. And having made that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, your next act of obedience is to be water baptized, which means that you are fully immersed at your own decision because what it represents is that you're dying to your old nature, you're being lifted up in the new power of God, that the old man is dead, the new man begins, and so that is the public confession of your faith that an infant cannot make. It's a choice that you must make. And so it was very clear as they begin to talk about that here. Some of the people that read this particular passage of Scripture, talking about the Lord Jesus who had sent Ananias to pray for him, say, well, you'll notice there that Paul did not speak in tongues. Let me remind you of what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, which was Paul writing a letter to the Corinthian church when he said this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. In other words, Paul was saying, it is such an important part of my life and my prayer life. Where did that begin? It began when he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Ananias' house. That's where that started for him. So Paul is a person that speaks in tongues a lot. And to that end, I would suggest to you that you need to have in your regular time of prayer and daily devotions a time when you begin to speak in your heavenly language and let your soul be edified and your heart be edified as you begin to speak out. There are some of you that will be awakened in the middle of the night with a need that you won't know what to do with. And in those moments, you just know that God is dealing with you. So when you wake up, and I don't know what this is, but I feel an impulse of the Spirit, I'm going to begin to pray in tongues because the Spirit that woke me up knows exactly what the need is and will direct me in prayer. And I could fill this room with testimonies of how that has happened on so many different occasions. But I can tell you from personal experience and from interaction with other people who God has greatly used and in powerful ways that praying in the Spirit makes a massive difference in your own personal devotional life. Then you move from there and you get into Acts chapter 10. And Peter is preaching to a group of people who have never heard the gospel. And as he is giving them the gospel, as he is preaching, they are putting their faith in the Lord. He doesn't even get to give an altar call. He's just preaching and they're going, yes, yes, I want that, yeah. And they're getting saved right there. And it says in, in verses 44 through 47 of Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And to that I say, hallelujah, that we didn't get left out. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. How did they know where they were filled with the Spirit? It was the tongues that gave them the evidence. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Now here's where I want you to understand that being baptized in water does not save you. 
It's an action you take in obedience, but clearly here, they were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit almost simultaneously, and then later they were baptized in water. And we see that from here. But this is the first time that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And it also indicates that there does not have to be a waiting period between the time you receive Jesus as your Savior and the time that he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. It can take place at the same time. But this proves that God's priority is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that will happen in the life of every believer. Now, here's what I want you to know. This is not, I'm not preaching today from a denominational perspective. I am preaching from a biblical perspective. I need you to know that. That's why I'm pouring this foundation of every place it talks about it as we go through the New Testament so that you know when you are pursuing this experience with the Holy Spirit that you have spiritual foundation that you can stand solidly on and say, the Word says it, I believe it, it's for me, and I'm going to not wait. I'm going to pursue everything that God has for me, and I'm going to be diligent about this until I receive this gift. Early in the 1900s in Topeka, Kansas, there was a reawakening of Pentecost in America. It moved from there to Azusa Street in California, and the result was that the Azusa Street revival began. People came from all over the world and were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to spread out through all the world, and missionary uh, endeavors began to grow like crazy, and suddenly the whole world became an object of being able to be reached with the power and the message of Jesus Christ. And it was an amazing thing to read about, an amazing thing to watch from those that recorded it. But there comes this point in time when you can read about history or you can say, I want to live a historical life. You can read about what God did in the past and you can talk about the good old days or you can say, this is the good new days. Because he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And let me tell you something, America. We are about to be in a place where we need the power of the Holy Spirit poured out upon us because we are about to enter into an age where you either will be for Christ or you won't be for Christ, and there will be no middle ground. And if you're for Christ, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit clothed around you to be bold and to demonstrate the power of God. Musicians, would you please come? There was an illustration that was written out of a recipe by a doctor who was named Decanter in 200 B.C. He recognized that there are two words to describe baptism. One of them is bapto, the other is baptizo. Both words mean to dip or immerse, but they're different. The Greek word in Acts 1.5 is baptizo. And the doctor, Decanter, who, who was discovering this, wrote a recipe about making pickles based on these two things. He said, to make a pickle, the cucumber first must be dipped, bapto, into hot boiling water so that its skin is available then to be opened up for what wants to be put into it. And then must be baptized or baptizo in a vinegar solution. The bapto is a temporary dip. The baptizo is an immersion for such a long period of time that it produces a complete change in the vegetable. And it goes from being a cucumber to a pickle because of the constant immersion. Now, having said that, I'm not asking that you all pucker up and become pickles. What I am asking is that you recognize we need to be immersed. Lengthy waiting in the solution of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in order to live in a powerful and profound way so that we can have an impact on Syracuse and New York and our nation and the world, we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask that you would stand with me today. I'm going to ask my altar workers if they would please prepare themselves. Please come to the altar. We're going to be doing this today, and we're going to be doing this over the next month. And by the way, you can seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit on any Sunday. It doesn't have to be a special Sunday. But I wanted you today to be able to have a foundation poured in the solid cement of the Word of God so that this isn't a Doug DeMint thing. It's not an Assemblies of God thing. This is a Word of God thing and essential for us to begin to walk in the power of the Spirit. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, that must be the priority first. You've got to come to know Him as Savior. You need to ask Him to cleanse you of all of your sins, to forgive you, believe that He's the Son of God and that He died for you. And if you've not done that, then today in just a moment when I invite you to come to the altar to pray, would you find one of these people here and say, I, today, I just, I need you to introduce me to Jesus. And the moment that takes place, you then qualify for the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then we are going to be, begin to add more water baptism services. So for those of you, and, and let me just put you at ease. I know that we, in our water baptism service, I have people that say, I don't want to be water baptized because I don't want to talk in front of everybody. We'll work that out. Your need to be obedient overcomes the need to be afraid. And, and we, if you don't want to talk, we won't let you talk. But we want to baptize you. And then we want to be a church. We want to be a church that's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that will be evidenced by our boldness and by our ability to pray for other people and see God do miracles within their life. Every one of you are a priest before the Lord. When he tore the curtain that separated the high priest from the people in the New Testament, he opened the door of priesthood to every one of us. We go directly to the Lord in prayer. 